0: Hello listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sveresen. I'm joined today by my colleague Gert Oven-Molestad, who covers the Nordic region for Montel. And we are joined by Marius holm Rennesund, analyst and partner at TEMA, an Oslo-based consultancy. A warm welcome to you, Marius. and welcome, And welcome to you, Gert. Thank you. Today, we're taking a close look at the outbreak of protests uh, against onshore wind in Norway. So... Where are the current protests, and what are they protesting against, Marius? Well,
1: the the, the most important part or the most uh, vocal protests are around uh, the No. Three area in the mid Norway. Terndre uh, Energy has a very large project. It's the uh, Northern Europe's largest project with a. Around 1000 megawatts of installed capacity. But it's basically only one part of that pro- of that project where you, you see protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, a small
0: island uh, mm-hmm. called Freya. That's off Trondheim. It's kind of mid Norway, is it? Yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. mid Norway. For those who aren't familiar with the no yeah, 3 exactly, zone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but
1: it, I think it's growing across Norway right now, the protests. We see it becoming more and more vocal, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kind of natural. It's first of the you know last two years that you really see wind developments in Norway. Mm. You see onshore, yeah. onshore. Mm. Uh, you've seen it in Sweden for quite some while uh, without much protests, but in Norway, it's, it's now that the you've started to actually build, and mm. uh, and when people actually see the windmills, they uh, they uh, mm. uh, start to protest against them.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we'll come back to uh, comparisons with neighbouring countries a mm. bit later. But but what is it exactly they're protesting against? Do you think that you know you'd think uh, clean green energy that would be mm. would be welcomed? You know. Um.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's basically a not in my backyard mm. uh, okay. problem. Yeah. It's in a way climate versus uh, local environmental impact, and it's both in terms of, of the road construction uh, and how it hurts local. Environment. Birds is important. Many don't want to see uh, their windmill from their, their cabin or their house. Okay. Uh, so that's also a part of it. So I, I think it's it's kind of mixed. Specifically in that this project, uh, if you look at kind of the the big lines here, it's uh, it's more climate versus local environmentally.
0: So the main the main reason is the impact on wildlife and, and not just visual, uh, not
1: just visual. But building roads around very vulnerable uh, areas that some feel these areas are, especially mm. along the coast where it's very visible, it's important for, uh, for the, the protesters.
2: And they also built kind of high in the landscape. Okay,
1: uh, so they, you will be able to see
2: them from kind of very long distances. It yeah.
0: kind of makes sense because you want to them to be built where where the, where it's windy, Precanc- and, there's, exactly. and there's not windy in the valleys. Mm. It's up yeah, at the pres- top, yeah, yeah. And mm. it
2: also triggers a lot of construction work. You have to build roads, and you have to kind of yeah use a lot of dynamite and, and mm. heavy construction work for the roads. Mm. So you will, the, the claim is that this
0: will be irre- irreversible. Mm. Um, local impacts to build this, uh, the windmills. But that's only in the initial phase, surely. Once the roads are there, the impact will be less, or?
1: Well, they're still visible, but I think there's two different ways of seeing it. Of course, they will still be there. Uh, there will still be be some kind of local damage to the area. Uh, while some reports also say that you know tourism uh, increases; it's the areas will be used more mm-hmm. uh, by by people who want to experience wildlife as well so it's it's a kind of a mixed picture there Mm. but of course in in these open landscapes it's Mm. uh, easier to see the roads it's easier to see uh, the windmills than in typical wooden areas Mm. uh, where I think
0: the the visual impact at least is is less
1: with Uh, the road construction
0: absolutely I mean I've been um, in Stord and they have is it the Fitzhald power Mm. company there they have onshore wind I mean I'm just wondering why uh, why are the protests happening now? Because there, there have there have been, I mean, onshore wind in parts, maybe isolated parts of Norway. I'm just wondering why, you know. No, I, th- I think it's now where the
1: big development is happening. The plans has been there. They got their licenses, and and in that licensing process, that's really when you should have protested against it. People haven't done that. Uh, it wasn't expected that they would come so many projects and and so early Mm. Uh, I guess for some uh, we've seen a a rapid cost decrease Uh, that means that more projects are now profitable Mm. uh, even without L-certificates that Mm. means more projects coming online
0: without subsidies without subsidies subsidies, yeah yeah. Mm.
1: so it's it's now that you actually see uh, the visual impact. Uh, and if you use FusNA as an example again, the mm. first wind parks there are now up and running. Mm. Uh, so you actually see the the physical impact from them. Uh, and it's the, the latter ones uh, in that large project that the protests are, are happening.
2: But, uh, do you think that the, the rising resistance towards onshore wind power in Norway could uh, actually result in a stop in, in new developments or new projects?
1: I don't think we will see, see a stop, but I think, well, f- up until now, most projects have been realized by a project developer and then sold to an, a foreign financial company and, and often backed with a PPA, with a mm. consumer. Uh, and what we expect and, and have seen the start of now is that more of the regional utilities that hasn't been investing in wind power, have now started to look at new projects and, and, get, and, uh, and are now allowed, allowed by their owner to actually invest in wind, which they haven't for some years. And that process might be not reversed, but, but we might not see that many local utilities being willing to invest in, in onshore wind when the protests are so, so mm. large. And mm. the reputational risk increases. I just saw an interview with uh, Stoley Ashwell, the Chief of Trender Energy, which owned this uh, or are building this wind park. Where the protests are more, most vocal, and he's stating that the public opinion uh, about Energy you now might be changing, and that's the challenge for them.
0: Have these protests taken the companies such as Energy have, have they taken by surprise?
1: Well, well, it seems uh, mm. it has. I'm not sure they should be that surprised. <laughs> I mean, things have been running smoothly for a while, mm. but it's it's now that you actually see the projects, and you should expect at least some uh, some resistance towards
0: it good point that you made there that it's only when they're actually building them that the protests emerge rather than in the licensing phase which yeah. to yeah. some would be slightly slightly odd you know
1: yeah yeah it, it is odd and they should have started uh, working against it if you are against it mm-hmm. at an earlier stage but I, I don't think they really realized the impact it would mm-hmm. have and it's easier when it's more concrete and, mm-hmm. and you actually see, see what's happening to to be more vocal and, and you know, the the protests have now uh, delayed the uh, the construction work for quite some time as mm. well, so mm. it's also cost them Energy quite a lot of, of money these days.
0: So it's uh, the Norwegian Don Quixote, if you like, uh, fighting <laughs> against these windows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, it, if we're able to compare the protests that are happening now to what's happened against the, 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 the expansion of hydro plants in mm. the 1970s and 80s. Is is that a fair comparison, Marius?
1: I think that's a bit early to say. We've really now only had this one area where the protest has been very vocal, but it's now growing across Norway, uh, and we see that new projects are, are opposed as well. I mean, I'm I'm a bit too young to have experienced well. Really, so we so so like, as well you know, know, as of course, <laughs> <laughs> the large protests in the in the seventies. Yeah. But I feel that that some of them were. were even harder and, and more debated than what we see right now, mm-hmm. although the uh, the wind power debate has been quite heated uh, over the last few weeks, actually. So it remains to to be seen whether they they continue and whether you can compare it uh, when you look back a few years ahead mm-hmm. uh, to what you saw with regards to to hydro in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. But it's it's you know. Every project that has um, an environmental impact uh, will be opposed by, by some. Mm. Uh, and, and the not-in-my-backyard problem will also be there, whatever you do, whatever you build. So, mm. of course, there will be protests both against you know new hydro build-outs uh, as well in Norway, as well as, as wind power.
0: Absolutely. I think that's part of... Uh, living in a democracy, yeah. in a way, that yeah. everyone has to have their voice. Um, yeah. But do you think uh, politicians, both local and national, are listening to, to the protesters? Are they taking any notice?
1: I think they definitely are, especially uh, at the national level. We have had uh, the yearly meetings in a number of political parties over the last few weeks, uh, mm. and we see many of them uh, are now more actively supporting offshore wind power uh, okay. and said that, you know, we should build some onshore, but, but offshore should be the, the mm. focus going forward. Mm. And that has been a, a large change. And, uh, and with the cost numbers you now see for offshore... That means they also will, will need to be willing to uh, to support them financially
0: if they are mm. to be built. Mm. Absolutely, we'll come back to offshore, I think, later in, the, mm. in, in in this pod. But is there a split between left and right in terms of the sort of anti wind, or is it just spread across the political spectrum? I, mean, uh, uh,
2: I would say it spread quite across, yeah. uh, because you've seen the resistance both in the left wing party and all to the right wing party and mm. in the in the grand uh, in, the, in the large conservative party. There yeah. were some suggestions. Uh, for stop, complete stop of, uh, of uh, onshore wind, that didn't get us a, a vote, but um, but there are, there is a clear opposition in all parties across the board. I would say
0: so. It's not um, a, a clear political split on no, this. It's no, no, there's no. just you know there's opposition and support within maybe all parties. Yes, I would yeah, say so. Yeah, mm. yeah. Do you expect? these kind of protests to, to happen more and more, to become more widespread uh, across Norway? I mean, we've, they've been focused very much now in, in mid-Norway on, on, yes. on, and, and, and in the Trondelag, near yeah. Trondheim. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I, I would expect that we'll see it across the country. We've seen that uh, a lot of these you know, national organisations are active in this space, and, and you will see that spread across the, the country. And I think it's one important aspect that we haven't discussed is that this coincides with when the uh, Norwegian regulator actually published their uh, their plan for where you can build onshore wind and where they picked 13 different uh, geographical areas mm-hmm. where they where they think it 's right to build wind, where there 's grid there 's suitable uh, landscape, etc, and I think we 're going to see protests all across those those areas uh, mm-hmm. and and this plan is out on a hearing process now uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think it 's going to be a lot of focus on on that mm-hmm. hearing process and Eventually, when they they revise the plan uh, mm-hmm. after the hearing process, what uh, the results there will be. Which
0: thirteen areas did they uh, did they kind of isolate or? or
1: well, it's it's
0: uh, spread all across Norway basically. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So so
1: you know, hence you will probably also see
0: protests <laughs> all, across all across Norway. Norway anyway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Maybe uh, surprisingly little in northern Norway actually, where yeah. the wind r- resources absolutely best but mm. uh, there you have uh, wind farms producing like 4,200 hours a year mm. so but the grid there is a serious constraint so th- that was one of the reasons that I kind of pushed a lot of the areas towards southern Norway because there you are closer to the interconnectors and also mm. with a stronger grid
0: so and closer to, to demand centers as well I yeah, suppose precisely. there's not so much demand maybe in the north but
2: then again there you have uh, a denser population so it's going to be tricky yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The next question where you have Sweden, which is very sparsely populated, especially in the north. Yep. So could you, do you think you could see uh, a shift that you won't have so much uh, wind power in Norway and then that the bill, that the projects are coming in Sweden
1: instead? Yeah, I mean, that, that could be a possible result, uh, definitely. Still, the resource base is, is better in Norway, but uh, with the technology development you've had uh, over the last uh, few years, you see that you can produce more also in more wooden areas, which is uh, what you see, what you have in Sweden. And many, I think, also feels that the the impact is, is smaller in wooden areas. Mm. Uh, you still see the windmills, they need in to be very high. In areas forests, and yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. yeah. So, so that also might lead to it being more... Uh,
0: uh, or less unpopular, to put it that way, to, to build in those areas. So, so you build it above the tree line, or yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. So visually, it's maybe not such so uh, so challenging, maybe for some.
1: Yeah. No, uh, I would say so. And you you see also in Norway and especially uh, along the border towards Sweden, uh, mm. some wind farms in in uh, more forest areas. Mm. And at least uh, when I look at them,
0: the the, the visual impact mm. seems less. Mm. Okay. We at Montel, we're very, we, we want to look at the market impact of mm. this. What does the expansion of, of wind do to, to market prices? And what's your outlook for, for, for the coming years as wind, wind capacity grows in the region?
1: No, I mean, it definitely puts a, a downward pressure on prices. The more you build, the more supply you would have for basically the same demand. Uh, and that would push push prices down. Uh, but there are some other effects as well. I mean, the the lower power price might lead to some increases in uh, demand as well. Mm-hmm. And Have we got any numbers here, Maurice? You can throw around. <laughs> <laughs> no, no yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to to pinpoint exactly how much wind farm would push uh, prices down. Uh, what we see is in in the medium term, power prices will still much be driven by uh, gas. Coal and CO two prices, mm-hmm. uh, but we will see a more a switch from the short-run marginal cost of coal being the most important to more short-run marginal cost of gas, and that's more because of the development elsewhere in Europe, where you phase out coal and you need to to use more gas in the power
0: production. Yeah, we're seeing more and more fuel switching occurring in continental Europe. But, Definitely. But so I, mm.
1: yeah, so that that effect, I think we will see. You know, up until. 20, 25, something like that, in the medium term. Mm. In the long term, I think it's really the uh, the long run or the investment cost for for new wind that mm. will kind of set a, a soft cap on power prices. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we and and most others have been taken by surprise of the rapid cost decrease uh, for wind over the past you know eight years or so. Mm. Um, I think it will flatten out over time, but mm. still it's difficult to see. Power prices over consecutive years at a much higher level than what it, the long-run marginal cost of a new wind farm will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is that? Well, uh, I suppose it varies. But of course, it, it, the answer depends. Isn't yeah, it? It, yeah, yeah. But if you look at uh, NVE's number, for example, they they uh, have the cost now at uh, slightly below uh, forty euros, mm-hmm. uh, between thirty-five and forty. So I think we're going to slide down maybe towards the the thirty-five euro. Uh, Mm -hmm. level
0: per megawatt uh, hour per megawatt hour Mm.
1: when that is said i I think you can still see a system price above that Mm -hmm. and that's a reason for that and that's what you often call the cannibalization effect Mm. that a wind farm doesn't receive that average price Mm -hmm. uh, over the year because you have to produce when the wind is blowing and then everybody else has to produce as well Mm. uh, and that pushes prices down so Mm the capture price, the price that the, uh, the wind farm actually receives, will be lower than the average price mm. in, in when it produces
2: And we did have an uh, example uh, Sunday this week when, when you have snow ma- uh, high snow melt now mm-hmm. uh, uh, seasonally in Norway and Sweden, and then there was uh, quite a windy day. So on Sunday, the area prices in Sweden fell to only 12 euros, just okay. below 12 euros. So you, you get this short-term Mm. price drops mm. uh, yeah. when when the wind is blowing and, but, and especially combined
1: with the with heavy inflow from, from exact, melting snow yeah mm. and, and that's the other factor we, we might see uh, more volatile prices mm. okay. uh, you will go very low when there's good precipitation and, and a lot of wind mm. uh, and then you probably will go higher ex- at least in, in our view we expect some higher gas prices CO2 prices are high but mm. might increase in, in the long run mm. at least mm. and then you get Prices down, you know, towards zero uh, mm-hmm. when it's windy, and then you can get
0: very high prices uh, in those hours where there's less wind. Sure, but I think in given that kind of low price scenario, or the increased likelihood that this will happen with more wind expansion and more wind capacity being built. What, what are developers pricing this in? I mean, this is quite a low price. This is a, there's a high risk of, of, of very low prices.
1: Yeah, I think they are. At least we've seen a focus now where they are much more uh, preoccupied with the cannibalization effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a number of clients where we run sensitivities uh, on the cannibalization and, and in different price areas because it will vary between mm. areas because you have more or less wind. But also because the interconnections to other areas mm. uh, is good or bad, or it's uh, high or low. Mm. Uh, so, so. I think investors more and more are looking into this definitely mm. on the other hand you also most of the wind farms that's been realized over the past few years have been backed with a PPA mm. uh, so basically the investor has secured a, a fixed power price so in in negotiating this PPA they should have uh, pay,
0: taken that into consideration but that's nothing we see whether they do or not so. absolutely is this cannibalization effect is that a reason why some some Nordic hydropower producers haven 't uh, invested in onshore wind
1: yeah, I think that 's part of the reason and and for them, all investments in in uh, new production capacity means lower prices for uh, their existing assets, so I think that's been why they've been reluctant at least up until now to invest in wind with uh, I think the effect that they haven't really expected that somebody else actually the the foreign funds came in (laughs) and took that market (laughs) so you will you will get lower power prices still Mm. uh, and you're not part of the game because Mm. you haven't done any investments and that's why I see uh, more of the regional utilities now might be willing to, to do uh, investments in, in onshore wind.
0: Mm. Potentially with a PPA as well. The Potentially
1: ministry. with a PPA but in general utilities both uh, Nordic and also the foreign utilities that mm. has invested in, uh, in off- onshore wind in, in Norway uh, or Sweden are better of a, with handling power price risk and that's what they made for a living, right? so, so they burn ra- butter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, they, yeah. they rather mm-hmm. trade that volume than do P- PPA.
2: The question is uh, there's a lot of potential for the Norwegian hydropower still, uh, yeah. especially when uh, expanding the existing power plants. So, uh, and according to uh, NTNU professor Leflian, there's a potential of 22 to 30 terawatt hours in existing Norwegian hydropower plants, so mm. could, could, uh, could it be an easier solution to to focus the investments towards hydropower instead of building wind power?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is existing projects that you are rebuilding or, or refurbishing and, and do uh, minor changes to them, leading to uh, to a much more capacity. And of course, that's environmental-wise, that's uh, a sound thing to do. Mm. Uh, so you might see that happening going forward. But I think what others have pinpointed, and, and maybe the author of this report as well, is the, the tax incentives with this respect. And, and the way the tax regime is right now, it's not worthwhile doing those rebuilds. But of course, from the political side, uh, it might be they might be more willing to do changes to to these tax regimes now when the opposition towards onshore wind is so large. So. Mm-hmm. There might be a change there, and in in many respects, it it makes sense to do so. Mm. Yeah, and there's a
2: kind of a small committee looking at the tech system for mm-hmm. hydropower and also wind power in Norway, yeah. uh, led by the former uh, head of regulator uh, NBE. He's called Per Sandrud, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to deliver his report in October this year. And and so maybe I've, we'll come back in October yeah, and discuss uh, this again yeah, with you, Morris. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I picked up kind of. Um, clear signals from different political parties that there has to be a makeover over the tax system uh, mm. to be able to trigger the, mm. the hydropower refurbishment in a way. Yeah. So and,
1: yeah, and that's one side of it. The other side is, is the tax paid by onshore wind where you have no resource rent tax as you have for uh,
0: for hydropower. Uh, so it's, the, um, it's a bit unfair. It's not exactly a level playing no, field. No, not no, by a long shot.
1: You so know, that m- make have made sense when uh, you needed to financially support uh, with subsidies new uh, onshore wind. But, you know, when it's profitable, I think you might see a change also there. And even the the wind power organization in Norway, Norway, Mm. Norvea, is suggesting to have a a resource rent tax on on wind power as well. Okay. That's and that, interesting. It's, it, yeah, it's it's also to change the public opinion, probably. Mm. I mean, if you give more back to your local community where where the yep. wind farm is built, they might be more more positive.
0: Mm, for sure. Do you think this kind of modernization of Norwegian hydropower might lead to protests as well? Because you're you're also changing the plants, aren't you? Uh, or is it? Or is the it, impact is rather limited because you're okay. using the same dam. Okay. Maybe yeah.
2: expanding it a bit, but yeah. there's no there's no new nature that sacrificed okay so,
0: uh, so it's within the plant itself that, that you're change making changes yeah, you're to, not, the, you're to not the infrastructure not, you're,
2: not, you're not damming down a new river it's, no. it's kind of using the same resources
0: before fair enough mm. fair enough mm. um, how about the potential for offshore wind I mean you, you touched upon it earlier Morrisissa and because obviously uh, some parts of Norway as we know are very very windy yeah. um, so what, what's the potential here
1: there is not many reports looking at uh, the full potential and and so that remains to be seen it's large definitely again it depends on on which areas you would like to open for for, uh, offshore wind Uh, I think the other challenge uh, along the Norwegian coast is that it's deep Mm. Uh, and most of the offshore wind we see today is fixed to the bottom, wh- which you can't do in in many places uh, around Norway. So, mm. so floating wind is is what you would look at. Look at, mm. and the cost for that right now is is higher than for uh, for fixed uh, mm. bottom fixed wind.
0: How, can you give some numbers here? Some certain uh, ballpark figure?
1: I think. Well, it, Is it, it twice it's the cost. Yeah. Or? Okay. Uh, so almost yeah. twice the cost. At yeah. least thirty forty percent more. So it depends. Again, offshore wind is a more immature technology. Floating is even more immature. So Mm. so you would expect cost decreases. But how much, how fast is is the big question but then again if norwegian authorities are willing to subsidize because they rather would like to build offshore than onshore might it, be um, uh,
0: yeah it's all about the the finance minister how deep deep are the pockets of the finance minister yes, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah uh, quite uh, deep but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, i
1: think also some of of the norwegian utilities might think that, you know, with the, the protest we see now, let's skip that, uh, that step and go directly to, uh, to offshore. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's worth mentioning that Starcraft has been clearly against
2: subsidizing offshore wind in mm-hmm. Norway. They, they don't want to use taxpayers' money to, with the result of even lower power prices in yeah. Norway. So you would, yeah. uh, it, from an economic standpoint, it seems not very um, wise.
0: Oh. While well, continuing the discussion about subsidies, can these be built subsidy-free? And what, what's the outlook for you? Mentioned the L certificate, the electricity certificate market in in, in the Nordic region. What's the outlook here post 2020, Marius? Could you give us some some of your views?
1: Yeah, I mean, with with the current regime that's been proposed, the outlook is uh, is not very good. Uh, we're looking at. More or less zero prices, or at least very low prices from the early 20s. For, LSATs, yeah. For So that won't give any support either to, to onshore or, or offshore. So you need to do changes either to that system, or more likely other support mechanisms to, to get offshore wind going, mm. uh, both in O and R. There are projects also in Sweden. Already now you see in, in some markets that they have at least implicit subsidies because mm. they get free grid connections, etc. And and that's what we see in around Europe is that in in auctions they they bid in zero subsidy or or a zero uh, add-on to the to the power price and and that's because they get some implicit uh, subsidies in this mm. uh, that's at least one part of it the other part is that it is often. You know, five, six, seven years ahead uh, until they need to build it, and the punishment for not building is is not very severe. So it's basically a bet on high power prices and costs coming drastically down, mm-hmm. combined with with some implicit subsidies.
0: To 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 rephrase that would be to say, well, if they have low prices, uh, low wholesale prices or market prices going forward, some of these are unlikely to be built. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's, we might see that. Mm. And I talked to the
2: head of Buttonfall a couple of mm. months ago, and he said there will be no offshore wind farms in Sweden as long as they don't get the, the grid connection sponsored by,
0: no. by and that, the public. Of so, course, that's another another factor mm, the grid connection. Mm. A fascinating discussion. Thank you very much, Marius. Thank you very much, Gat. I'm sure we'll come back to this and, and we'll invite you again on the Montel Pod, Marius. So that's about all for now. Next week, I'll be podding uh, live from the Eurolectric Conference in Florence. But please keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you. Goodbye.